All right. Good morning, Fair Hill Church. <laughs> that was a good one. Wow. <laughs> uh, if kids want to head out, they can head to the kids' lesson now. Uh, otherwise, we will be looking once again at chapter 13 of the Gospel of Mark. Now, this is not our, our first uh, foyer into uh, Mark 13. This is the Olivet Discourse. This is Jesus giving uh, prophecy, some apocalypse. This is, uh, this is kind of the, the heaviest part of Mark, where last week we saw uh, Jesus giving all of these instructions as to what will happen before the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. This is a major historical uh, kind of point in redemptive history that the temple was destroyed, that Jesus was raised up as the one true temple, that he might be the one that we go to for, to worship and to come to, to our God and, and to come through his death and resurrection. But now, we're not looking at a prophecy that is, has already passed. Now we're looking at the one that is to come. So Jesus is going to shift gears and he's going to talk about his second coming. He's going to talk about the, the great day of the Lord. And he's distinguishing it between uh, that previous prophecy about the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem and now, how are we to think about his return, his return in glory? How are we supposed to live our lives in light of it? That's our question for today. And ultimately, we're going to see that we are called to live with our hearts fully set every moment upon the return of the Lord. That our hope, our lives, our, our, our very being would, would call out for Jesus to return. And that, that were our, that's where our hope would be. And so let's look at Mark 13, verses 32 through 37 here. This last part of the Olivet Discourse. This final word of prophecy from Jesus. Mark 13, verses 32 through 37. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Keep awake. If you do not know when the time will come, it is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, Stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come in the evening or at midnight, when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. What I say to you, the disciples, I say to all, stay awake. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you know all things. We, know, we thank you that they are under your, your sovereign will. We thank you that you have a plan. And it is not a plan to, to leave us and, and abandon us here. It is, it is your plan to pursue your people and to, to gather those whom you love and to create the new heavens and the new earth. Father, we ask that you might help us to, to live this time on guard and, and fully awake 
Father, would you use uh, your word? Would you, would you minister us the, the truth of the gospel? Would you fill us with the Holy Spirit that we might have eyes that are open and then we see the glories that are to come and we might live watchful for that great day when the Lord comes. Father, we thank you for these great promises and we ask that you would help us to, to really take them to heart, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so we're starting off with Jesus helping his disciples to understand the difference between this previous judgment against the temple of Jerusalem and the, the coming judgment, the final day. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, nor the Father. All right, so if you, we weren't here last week, we've, we're totally shifting gears here. Before, we had such assurance. And he was talking about the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem as this kind of uh, first picture of judgment. And he gives really crystal clarity as to how this is going to happen, that it was going to happen within that generation, and there are various signs associated with it. But now he's shifting gears and he's saying, but let's not talk about the destruction of the temple, let's talk about that day, that hour. And in saying that, he's, he's, he's not talking about the one that came before, that, that other thing. No, this, is, this, is a, this is something that the, the people would have recognized what he's talking about. Okay, this is kind of like saying, when, when we say uh, the talk, <laughs> all right, have you had the talk with your kids? We all know what that means, all right? We, we, uh, we have an understanding. If you don't know what it is, uh, the time will come. Uh, all right. It's like that. They're talking about, okay, but that day, that hour. And they know what that means. That means the final day, the final judgment, the day of the Lord, the day when all things are settled, when all things are made right, when God comes to, to judge the living and the dead. Now, why does Jesus all of a sudden randomly bring up the, the final day of the Lord when they're just talking about the temple? They were asking about, like, well, look, look at these great buildings. When is this stuff going to come? Uh, he's trying to help his disciples because they're, they're convoluting things. They might see a temporary judgment in the temple and they think, well, oh, it, it, must be, it must be time. It must be time. It must be time. Not recognizing that they're... There are sweeping things that need to happen first, that the salvation needs to be brought to all people, that this is this great new season of the, the power of the Holy Spirit poured upon his people to minister the gospel and spread it. That, yeah, these are both sort of judgments. But the temple comes in this generation. That final day of the Lord, it is unknown when it will be. And, and look here, look, look, look what we're seeing here. All right. Notice the gravity of this. Okay, the angels do not know when the day of the Lord is. All right, these are the angels who are the very messengers of God who will come to, to reap the harvest. These are the ones who, who proclaimed that the Messiah had been born, the, the great multitudes singing out. These are the ones who met the, the women at the, temp, at the, at the tomb. And proclaim the resurrection. 
All right. Those glorious ones, they don't know. All right. The sun. The sun does not know the day or that hour. All right, that's a, that's a huge statement. This has been like a theological problem for, for generations. All right, first of all, who are we talking about? The Son is Jesus. All right, just real clear on that. And the Son is God. And so he's saying, well, uh, how, how can the Son not know? Of all people, if he is God, how can he not know the time and the hour? All right, this has tripped people up. Now, some people try to explain it away. They're like, well, he doesn't know in the sense that he can tell them. Uh, that's going to cop out. All right. I think what we're thinking about is that, all right, Jesus, he, he really had a full human nature. And to live as we needed to live and to, to complete all that had to be done uh, for us in our place, he was fully human. And so he didn't just get to kick it into omniscient mode and look into the vast reaches of divine knowledge. No, he depended upon his father in his time here. Just like you depend upon the father. And he's saying, you know what? He hasn't revealed it to me. It's not for me to know that even. Now, that's a, that's a big deal. Only the Father knows that time and that hour. Only the Father. All right, but in high school, one of the kids on my track team, he was friends with this, this kid, and his mom had figured out when the time had come. She'd calculated it, and it was like within five years, and it was like a really big deal. So, so the Father knows, and she, she knew, and there's the occasional prophet who knows, or the, those, those mega pastors, they, they, they tend to know. Uh, all right. If the son doesn't know, uh, they probably don't know. If the son doesn't know, you probably don't know. All right. Are we comfortable with that? We need to be comfortable with that. We all have to accept that, that all right, this time is not for us to know. And we should be decently skeptical about those who say they do. All right, I, I don't think I have to say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. Uh, if someone says they do know, all right, they're probably not a reliable source. Let's take that with a grain of salt. The second they're saying that they do know, all right, they're disqualifying themselves for the, the ability to say that. All right. I'm thankful that I'm not the only person you listen to, but please don't listen to people who are are actively kind of fooling people and, and fear-mongering and, and presenting themselves with such great wisdom that the Lord has not given us. And I remind you of that because um, from a pastoral standpoint, it's really bad for your soul. Because it, it's, a, it's a pretty narrow lens if the only hope that you can see for this present age is for God just to light it all on fire and start again. All right. That's, that's a very narrow perspective of what our God is doing. All right. We're talking about the one who, for, for 300 years, left his people in slavery so that he could proclaim his glories in Egypt. All right. Like, 
He has big plans. He has large, like, sweeping movements. We see the gospel throughout the whole of the Old Testament into the New, and my hope is that we have an abundance of faith that can deal with the present. And our first thing is not, well, no, he just needs to return because it's just so bad. Yes, it's, it's supposed to be bad. That's what we saw last week. It gets far worse than it did. The darkness comes before the light. And we are given things to do. We are told to, to spread the gospel. And to be transformed into the image of Christ. There are amazing things that God is doing that isn't just, we just need to run away and wait for the destruction to come. Do we have the faith to, to hold this very loosely? To not go searching for, for hopes from people who are, who, are, who are puffing themselves up? All right, and this last one. All right, we are made fools when we run after these things. All right, we look, we look foolish to the world, and we look foolish because we're not listening to our Savior and our King who says, don't commit to these things. We hold this loosely. All right. So instead, instead of running after and declaring that we already know, uh, we are given something, something better, something different. Our Lord tells us exactly what he wants us to do. He wants us to be doorkeepers. He wants us to be doorkeepers, verse 33. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight, when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he should come and find you asleep. What I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. All right. Now, we're really familiar with all of these, like, servant parables. They're throughout the, the Old and New Testament, and we don't want to get them convoluted. So this one, this one is very specific. There's other ones that talk about, you know, you're, you're an investor in this kingdom that your master has left you, and, and you might, should invest well. The others, it's like, you're, you're, a, you're to feed the Lord, and you're to do it humbly and without questioning how much you deserve. There's other ones that talk about the, the gardeners who are to tend the vine and to care for the vineyard. There's all these roles for the servants, but in this one, you are, you are but one kind of servant. We are all but one kind of servant. We are doorkeepers. We are doorkeepers who wait for the Lord. And ever, every day, every moment, we are watching for the Lord's return. We are watching for our Lord's return, for his second coming, for his return in glory. All right. Now, there's two, two fundamental tasks here. All right, first, first, be on guard. Be on guard. 
you are to take up this role as a watcher for the Lord. This is your, all of our positions in the kingdom. We all have given that same task, to be doorkeepers. Now I ask you, right, how many times this last week did you think about the return of the Lord? Did you think about his coming in glory? Did you think about the, the heavenly reality that he will bring? All right, I got to cheat this week because I had this passage. So, uh, so I'm like, I did a great job. Uh, all right. All right, first, like, what, is it, what does it really mean to take up this role in the kingdom? To take this role in, in, in your life even? All right, first, you have to recognize that you have a great master. You have this one who, his, his presence is everything. And that we don't just live our lives to ourselves. No, we, we stand under this great Lord who has called us to a real task. All right, there's this other reality, that that Lord will return. All right, do you believe that? Do you really believe that the Lord will return? We can doubt that in our hearts. We can deny this role and we can say, well, I, I, I just don't give it that much weight. All right, I know some of you are, are not believers. And I tell you, okay, we just had a prophecy that the destruction of Jerusalem would come and within the generation, within 40 years, and we saw it to a T executed. All right, you need to deal with Jesus if you haven't dealt with Jesus. If you haven't really wrestled with whether or not this, this one really resurrected, has gone to heaven and will come again in glory, all right, you desperately need to answer that question. Do you need to be standing at the gate or will you be utterly lost when he comes? That is a real question that is worth your life. It is not worth uh, the distractions of the world that one day he returns and, and you are not prepared. If this is what is going to happen, this is everything. And it's worth your consideration. Now, what does this look like? Like, all right, look out this window. Look out this window. All right. One day, that sky will be rolled back. And the, the sky will be lit aflame, and, and the Lord will come in all of his glory. Look at it. Look. Really? That same sky? All right, there will be a day when, when your work here is all done. And you will be, have entered into a new life where the kingdom is all that matters. Where the currency of the kingdom is the only thing that is of value. Where the only one in power is that king. All right. Have you been able to see that recently? Have you seen it lately? All right, I think it is helpful. When you go outside, like, look up. Look up outside of this light and like, okay, he's going to come in glory. He really is going to come and everything will be different. 
Now, many of you have, have taken up that role. You know that you are a gatekeeper. You know that you are waiting for the Lord. All right, but there's a little bit more to it. Uh, we can take up that role and we can show up to work. We can show up to work and we can sit in the chair and say, okay, I'm going to wait for the Lord and then we can fall asleep. We can nod off in the midst of this task. We can forget. And I think for many of you, that's, that's where we're wrestling on a daily basis. You, you don't deny that he's going to come one day. You deny that you're just not really looking for it. All right. Our, our heart is not in the task. And what does this look like? What does this look like? Um, all right. So think of, think of your investments in this world. And not just money. Like your, your true investments, your, your time, your resources, your energy. Are they executed with, with eyes towards the coming of the Lord? Or have we adopted the currencies of the world that, that, that power and money and pride, that these are the things that can raise us up? And have we forgotten that the Lord will turn all of those things upside down and say, no, no, humility and, and death to self and weakness, those are the things that will be valuable in my kingdom. Have we thought about the, the comforts of this kingdom in light of the, the one who's going to come? What will matter? That you, you please the opinions of men or that that king who's coming in glory, that you've pleased him? That you've, you've sought to obey him, that you have worshipped his name and, and praised him in all of his glory, that you bowed before he he called every knee to bow. It's easy to nod off. All right, so a story from, from Casey and I. Casey and I. Uh, we, were, we were having a date, and we're, like, we're talking about like, happiness and how we're doing. And we were like, you know what? Like, we should just like, try to have a lot more fun. And you know, we should, we should like, think of, of hobbies that we should do and get away from the kids more. And... You know, there's probably, like, really great things that we could be doing, and we're just not really, like, taking life by the horns. And, and, and then we recognize, like, or we could, like, really love Jesus and enjoy him and focus on the things that he's actually called us to and do them with joy. Now, it doesn't have to be a total false dichotomy, like, oh, you know, you can't do the things of the world. But, like, there really is this great joy that we're called to. And that we're not just like desperately clinging to this world for whatever little happiness we can, we can juice out of it. Like we have this one who's going to come in, in utter joy. And for that moment, like we were nodding off and entering into this, this other kingdom. And I think we all do that. We all do that. And some of us are just totally asleep that you have, you've kind of gone totally off course and thrown yourself into the world and this Jesus thing, it doesn't even matter anymore. It doesn't influence how you live your life. It doesn't matter the decisions you make. 
that when it comes to the, the ultimate decisions of your life, they're made in this world without the king. All right, we are called to be gatekeepers. We're called to be ones who are awake. To be ones who are awake. So I ask you, all right, how many times did you leave your post this week? Did you leave your post and stop looking? How many times did you fall asleep? All right, were there days where it was just like you never even woke up? That you didn't even realize that Jesus was real until like 7 p.m. and you're like, oh, right. <laughs> that you, you forgot the gospel was real. That you forgot that there was life eternal before you. Right. Let us be awake. Awake to the realities of the gospel. Awake to the realities of Jesus. And now we ask, okay, why are we so bad at this? Why are we so bad at this? Why isn't it just this natural thing that we are, we are desperately waiting for Jesus and we're just alive with, with hope and energy and just desperate for his return? All right. You don't just need to hear this message, all right? You don't just need to be reminded that, oh, yeah, you're supposed to do that too. And, oh, right, uh, yeah, I'm having a great week this week thinking about this uh, only because I'm studying this passage. And if that's all that this does, it's, it's one of the, the next temporary reminder of a commandment that you try to do for a little bit, and then it tails off, and then you go right back to the life that you were living. And All right, what really needs to change? All right, our hearts need to change. That is ever going to be the message, our hearts need to change that we really need to change the things that we enjoy, the things that we hope for, the things that we long for. All right. What are you most excited about right now? All right. For me, vacation. <laughs> vacation. All right. Why? Because my heart loves rest and comfort and eating good food and no responsibilities. All right. And, and it's not hard to think about that. And I find myself like, oh, like thinking about it. And like, all right, why? Because all of my favorite idols are there. <laughs> and it's this great thing. And it's natural that my heart should go there. All right, that's where we have to admit that in our hearts, our hearts don't long to go there when we think of Jesus and his return. And that's where our hearts are sick and we desperately need him to remind us of the great joy that is found in Jesus' return. All right, our palates are bad. Our palates for joy are, are broken. And all we want are candy, and we don't have the true, the true joy that is given to us. Now, Jesus says that he will give us joy, and that joy will be complete that we are created in the image of God to worship and praise him and that what you really want, what you ultimately want is to, is to be in his presence and to be worshiping him and to know him and to experience the one that is life and to praise the one who, 
really can fill us up and satisfy us. I remind us, what are some of the, and just like, because we're, we're people, and because we're, we're weak and we need help, uh, think of the gifts. Think of the gifts that Jesus brings in his wake. Think of the things that he is bringing. All right. Sinlessness. Sinlessness. That all of like the guilt and the wrestling and all of the, the struggle not to be selfish and, and struggling to love, that all of those things would just be, be vanished for all, for all time. And that you'll be free to, just, to love people and love God and praise him unhindered. All right, think of, uh, think of the gift of justice. That all wrongs will be made right. That everything that is broken and that is evil, that all of those things will be gone and we will have this one king ruling fairly and righteously. All right, think of the peace. Real peace. Not the head in the sand attempts at comfort that we run after. Real peace because we know all is well and that the only one in control is our king. All right. For those who are hurting and who are broken, new heavenly bodies. New heavenly bodies resurrected in glory. All right. Crowns on our heads for perseverance. Crowns for the righteous. All right, a sinless world. A world where there, are, there is no more tears, there is no more pain. Where the things that we make do not collapse and fall apart. Where all of our vain attempts to, to glorify God don't just, don't just vanish into nothing. All right. Does that sound good? Are you longing for those things? All right, this is, how, this is how we develop our palate. We think about that and we think, like, come, Lord Jesus, come. No, do I want new shoes? No, you want, you want that. You want to be clothed in righteousness. You want to be with the, the king who loves you. You want to be adopted into the family. You want to know the, the glory of God face to face. All right, that is life. That is all that matters. All right, that is, why, that is why we long for his coming. That's why we're doorkeepers, not because, you know, you're told to be a doorkeeper. No, it's because you're waiting for this one who is, is all joy to come. All right, let's be people who just, like, can bask there and dwell there and enjoy all of these riches and anticipate them. Let's develop a palette for these things. But before we can go there, we have to deal with the, the, the reality. All right. Some of you cannot think of that day with great joy. And you don't think of it with great joy. And anticipating Jesus isn't, isn't this called like, look at all the blessings that will rain down. Look at this one that, that loves me. No, what do you think? You think this is the, this is the destroyer come in judgment. And that that's why you don't like to think about it. That's why you don't have great joy in, in considering his coming because 
the gospel hasn't yet hit your heart fully. And that you don't think these great promises are for you. You still think that he's going to come and destroy you. I remind us, I remind you, every one of you, I remind myself, right? When he comes, he is not going to ask, all right, show me all of your works and I'll, I'll, I'll put them on the grand balance and if, if you done it, did enough good things and they outweigh your bad things, then you get to rejoice when I come. All right, that is not how it works. It's not that we line up everyone in terms of badness and, and Hitler's over here and, and, and Mother Teresa's over here and we take, uh, all right, we'll take the top 30% from their class and they, they graduate. All right, that is not how it is. It's not a test of, you know what, did you live according to your best intentions? Or did you try hard to be a nice person? All right, that is not how you are saved. That is not the people who get to come and joy. No, all those people, all those people will be weeping at that day. Who will be? Who will be rejoicing at that day? The ones who know that we have done nothing good, and yet Jesus Christ, thankfully, he didn't just come twice that second time. He came the first time. And he came the first time to die for our sins, to wash us clean with his very blood, to give us life that we didn't have to earn, that would be given to us simply because we believed that he wanted to give it to us. Those are the only people who would be rejoicing on that day because they, they are not trusting in themselves. They are not focused on their performance. They are not looking at their works. They are looking at Jesus, this one who came the first time to give us salvation freely. Now, you can say that you believe that, but this, this is the great test. Do you long for the day of the Lord, or are you terrified? If you are terrified, you, you are still living under the performance. You're still living under judgment. You are still waiting for that one who's going to come destroy you. You have not believed the gospel. I'd call us to, to believe the gospel and receive the one who's going to come in grace to those who believe in him by faith. Not works. Faith. And for those who can receive him in faith, who look to the cross and his resurrection, all right, who is coming? Who is coming? Our, our great king is coming. Our king, our, our priest the prophet who really did make these predictions and, and we saw them come to pass. The bridegroom is coming who loves us and who has washed us clean by his very blood and now welcomes us to the wedding feast. This is the, the brother who adopted, who brought us into the family, who delights in us. This is Jesus, our Savior, and our, our first love. When our hearts understand that, then every moment of every day, we will long for his coming. Amen? Let's pray.